I'm Marissa Donnelly, host of the Vulnerability Podcast, a podcast series focused on being vulnerable, being emotional, being deep, and talking about topics that people often shy away from. In this podcast series, you'll see stories of faith, hope, inspiration, darkness, frustration, and everything that really challenges us to speak to our human experience and to do so in shedding our skins and being vulnerable. Welcome back to the Vulnerability Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Donnelly, and today I have Tim Ringgold. He is a board-certified music therapist, a columnist for Recovery Today magazine, and the author of the book, Sonic Recovery, Harness the Power of Music to Stay Sober. He has provided music therapy to thousands of teens and adults in residential treatment and is a sought-after international speaker, having shared the stage with some of the top minds on music, the brain, addiction, and personal development, including Tony Robbins. Tim was the first person to give a TED Talk on music therapy in 2012. He is also a former regional president of the American Music Therapy Association. What an impressive bio. Welcome, Tim. So happy to have you. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Marissa. Awesome. Well, I wanted to jump in and just talk to you about your background in music, because one of the things that I personally have found so valuable in the craziness of the pandemic world, trying to navigate, you know, everybody's new sense of life and self is just finding moments to relax and recenter with music and you just being an expert in this area. Can you actually start by sharing like how you got into music and what really fueled your passion in this, in this arena? Sure. Um, I started out, I was on stage when I was four. So, uh, you know, I don't really know a time before music. It's always been a part of my life. Um, by the time I'm 16, it was, I'm singing for the Pope in St. Peter's Square uh, during Holy Week and really just considering the high points of music. Like music was just this wonderful expression. It was this form of entertainment, education, but it wasn't really until I hit rock bottom that I really like the real power of music was revealed. And this is something that, you know, the details of my story are different than the details of others, but everybody has a story like this where my story goes, I'm 22, it's April 18th, 1995. And while I'm at a concert, ironically, shouting my head off to some live music, uh, about 10 minutes away, my five best friends were just murdered. Yeah. I went to five funerals in four days. I'd get up, bury a friend, get as hammered as possible, pass out, and then wake up and have to do the whole thing over again and again and again. And at each one of my friend's funerals, as a musician, I sang a song I had written for them as my way of saying goodbye. And my community embraces me for how healing it is for them. But man, it tore me up to sing it. But fast forward to the night of the last funeral and one of my two remaining friends says, do you want to go see a show? And I'm like, oh, please. Yes. So we go to this, ironically, same club I was at one week prior. And there's this famous uh, instrumental guitarist playing. I'd never heard his music, but I'd read his column in Guitar Magazine. And, uh, and I go, and for the first two hours since I got the news, I found peace. And like no amount of drugs, alcohol, porn, food, like I tried all of it. I'd stack behaviors to try to numb the pain. Nothing worked all week. 
but the music did. And since that moment, basically, I dedicated my life to helping others reach for music in their lowest and their toughest times. So powerful. I can't imagine the grief of losing not only one person you love, but five. Yeah, it was, um, this was in 95. So we, I think we're like three years before, if I'm getting the math right, um, Columbine where school shootings started to become where, where kids or, you know, teens or young adults were losing like large groups at a time. And what was really surreal about it, it, it was the night before the Oklahoma city bombing. So when the, Timothy McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma federal building it was the next morning. So when we turned on the TV on the three, cause we didn't have cable, the three like uh, national ABC, NBC, CBS, there's the federal building blown in half. And then on the local channel, there's my best friend's house and it had been burned to the ground and they were pulling body bags out of the, out of the building. And it was, there were three of my friends lived at the house, but they pulled out five body bags, which meant two of our crew who didn't live there were at the wrong place at the wrong time. No one had, we weren't texting yet. This is 1995. So we're leaving voicemails on each other's phones, you know, on their landlines and one of my friends I was in a fight with at the time and I just said, hey man, let's bury the ax so we can get through this. He, he never got that message. I just can't imagine the grief on top of the grief of just everything in your personal life on top of the rest of the world. I know, you know, so many people right now with the pandemic are feeling that like grief upon grief and yeah. You know, it's, it's one of the grief is interesting because it's something that you can't compare trauma with, you know, like no. your grief is different than somebody else's grief, but it's not necessarily more or less. It all hits us, you know, the same, but then again, in different ways, if that makes sense. Totally. That's a really important point, Marissa. Um, grief is qualitative, not quantitative. And what we what I observe we do in our culture is we get really competitive with grief in one way where we'll be like, you think that's bad. I blah, blah, blah. And people actually out drama each other. I'm sure you've, you've mm -hmm. been on, Oh, thanks. I feel so much better now. Thanks for trying to, yeah. you know, outdo my grief. Congratulations. You won. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like people do that all the time, which doesn't make any sense to me. And then the flip side, they'll be like, well, you know, I'm going through this thing, but it's nothing compared to what you've been through. So I really, I don't want to bother you or I, you know, they, people will invalidate their own lived experience because they'll compare it to the, you know, three alarm fire down the street or someone. And early in my life, I, there was a very wise uh, gentleman said to me, he said, just because your neighbor next door neighbor has pneumonia doesn't mean you ignore your cough. Mm, and I think good. that's right. And I, I was just like, Oh, I'll remember. I was 19 misfit at the time, but I remembered that. So it was really good. <laughs> Anything that could penetrate a 19-year-old's brain has got to be useful. So I think that's just how we are, you know, as a culture. We, we just, we don't know what to do with it. And, and complex grief, of course, then we just bury because mm -hmm. no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to share it. And we live in such a happy, obsessed culture that we don't want to process it. And doesn't mean it goes away. It's just like a scab, you know, so then you have something else happen later and it triggers you know, the unprocessed grief from before on top of the current grief. And that journey was really a blessing in many ways for me because it taught me 
you can't, this is like, sometimes life sends you such a challenge, you can't ignore it and you can't pretend and you can't attempt to rely on your existing coping skills to solve the problem because the problem's literally too intense. And so you have to, you, like your, uh, I can't remember your prior uh, guest who was talking about uh, adversity where he was like, I was brought to my knees. And uh, that phrase where you're like, you know, my, my existing toolkit is insufficient. I need, I need something more right now. And so that, that journey really for me, it was like the worst adversity I'd ever been through, but it really taught me some things about adversity and about life that now I'm very grateful for. And principally, it taught me the power of music and that music in our nervous system, I didn't understand this until I became a music therapist, but in our nervous system, in our body, our body changes gear almost instantly while processing music. And that's just a very unique thing in nature. And since most of us think about music from an entertainment or an education like perspective first, whenever I share with people, yeah, but think about the time music saved you. Automatically people have a story and they're like, yeah, you know, I was this way and then the music and then I was that way. And it was like, boop. And I'm like, I know this is a very common experience. We, we have all been the, the recipient of the, the transformative power, the healing power of music. And we all prescribe ourselves music. I mean, that's what a playlist is. And before the playlist, that's what a blank CD was. And before that, that's what the mixtape was. We were, we were curating the music for a purpose. There was a context to the listening, like a road trip, or I'm going to commute, or... I got a breakup I want to get through, right? Like the, the broken mm -hmm. heart playlist, right? Like, yep. you know, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'll be on stage talking. Oh, when I used to be on stage, weep, weep, weep. <laughs> I'll be on webinars and I'll say, you know, put it in the chat. What were the reasons like you've, you know, created a playlist? Like how, how do you use music? Not to just entertain yourself, but to really like get by. How has music helped you get through? How has music helped you get over or get past or get beyond? And if you just think of all those phrases, we can apply music to, we've used music for all of those reasons, each and every one of us. And what's beautiful is that my music does the same thing for me as your music does for you. And that's why God invented headphones because you don't have to listen to the music that works for me. I don't have to listen to the music that works for you, but hey, there are people who like the same music. And when we get together and we rejoice in the same music in the same place at the same time, that is an unparalleled level of connection that we experience. And that's one of the real tragedies right now is that we're missing that, that physical connection united through rhythm, united through music, that social bond. It's been part of our human history for the tens and tens and tens of thousands of years is that we gather and we use music as the social glue for us to come together and create community. And we're, we're sorely missing that right now. Yeah. I can't tell you how much this is resonating with me. I actually, um, I had a girls retreat with some of my very best friends from growing up this past weekend. And we all, uh, 
did our little COVID tests and did all our protocol. And then we met up in like a very remote part of Wyoming to do this um, outside like nature hike trip and driving to the mountains. I was just picking music that felt like it fit the moment. And I was just, I remember turning to my friend who was driving and I'm like, I have literal goosebumps because I have missed listening to music with the companionship of other people in a shared space and like playing it loudly and just feeling connected. I miss that so much. And it's like, for me, it's been such a, um, music has always been such a release. It's like, I don't have to put on a front. I don't have to take care of anybody. I don't have to look or feel or act or be a certain way. I'm able to just show up and listen. And that's such a weight lifted. And with the pandemic, not having the ability to do that in the same capacity, it's just so different. Like, yeah, I can listen to music in the shower. Like, yeah, I can listen to music making dinner in my home. You know, yeah, I could play music in the backyard and have some socially distanced friends over, but it's not the same thing as the, like you said, the the face-to-face human physical bumping into each other, laughing, throwing your hands up in the air kind of connection that you have in a space where you're solely there to listen and be a part of the music. You nailed it. <laughs> there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. You know, the, there's a reason why live music has been a, is a center of culture and community and why all cultures ever recorded have music as a part of their r- rituals. And like, there's no surprise to me. I listened, like when my friends died, I listened to a lot of recorded music stoned and drunk in a car with my other friends. And the recorded music was cool, but there was a level that I reached around live music that was distinct from recorded music even. And the live music is the energy that the artists are physically uh, just generating through the music that we as the audience feel in that moment, in that same space, because we are in the same time and the same space. It's a shared moment. Mm -hmm. And being human is a shared experience. And so there is this humanness in the collective giving and receiving of music for the audience. And then the audience giving it back. If there's people dancing, the dancers dancing. And I can, you know, say from being in drum circles where on one side of the fire, there's a bunch of dancers and on the other side of the fire, there's us drummers. And, you know, here I am at this full moon drum circle and I am connected with a ritual that goes back tens of thousands of years into Aboriginal tribal culture where they had this verb and the verb was music dance. And so you would, you would never do one without the other. And so you would have people dancing to the music, you'd have people making the music and they were engaged in this energy, just dance, you know, back and forth. And that magic that simply can't be replicated at the same level. There are, there are things we can do right now and it's important for us to do what we can. And the struggle is real. The, the, the impact of not being able to gather to live music. There's just no, you know, no, there's nothing we can, oh no, it's gonna, no, no, there's nothing like that. And as far as the brain and the body and the nervous system are concerned, 
the physiological effects of engaging in live music making, it creates an altered state of consciousness for the body. It, it doesn't just regulate the nervous system and bring it back to a relaxed state. It creates a transcendent state for the brain and the body where people can do things physically for long, long, long periods of time that their normal state they would not be able to tolerate. And anybody who's danced all night at a rave and not been on ecstasy or acid, they know what I'm talking about. Cause I'm like, if I say rave, I have to qualify myself here because yeah. you know, just gotta be real here. But anybody who has danced for hours and then looked around and been like, whoa, wait, what time is it? You were able to access that level, that peak state because of the music. Music elicits a peak state in our brain that we just, it's the most complex stimulus in nature and it provides a pleasure response when we move to it, when we make it, when we listen to the music we enjoy. There's really nothing quite like it on the planet. So it's everywhere, which makes it easy for us to kind of take it for granted. But if anything COVID-19 taught us, it's like, oh, but concerts aren't everywhere anymore. I, I, you know, and my, I can't go to church for those who experience the altered state of consciousness when they're in worship music, they're transcending their isolated little monkey mind and they're feeling connected. They're having a spiritual experience in that live time space moment. We, we just can't quite recreate that over a screen. We can do something, but it's not the same. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we have, with music, it's so universal. And one of the things I'm, I'm thinking of as you're talking through this, it's like no matter what genre you prefer or what mm. part of the world you're in or what concerts you really enjoy the most, it's like you still have that universal experience. You still have that connection, regardless yeah. of whether it is, you know, rave versus country, rock versus classical. You know, I'm at home in my house versus I'm in a field with thousands of other people. Like you still have that experience and it's such a bummer that we don't have that right now but have you found like ways to one of the things I, i've been trying to do especially with this podcast is like you know what can we offer people in, in terms of hope you know maybe we can't <laughs> have the same you know experiences in a whole lot of ways whether it's music or really anything else there's so much that we don't have but what do we have and do you have any suggestions for people who are just feeling that big loss in their soul right now. Yeah, totally. So there's, you know, music as a personal device and then there's music as a social device. And we all have to, you know, just kind of own that music as a social device just can't be quite replicated right now the same way. And so we, we grieve that, we understand that. Although we can still experience music in it as the personal device that it is. And I'll tell you like, quick story in terms of why this is just as important. So my story about my friends and being at a concert, that was just as much of a social thing as it was a personal thing. Because when I was experiencing it, it wasn't so much that I was experiencing the connection of the crowd because I didn't know anybody there. And this was the first time seeing this artist. So it wasn't even like I was connecting with this artist that I felt like I knew because I'd listened to his records. It was just a very personal, powerful reaction to music. And I had, I was on the opposite end of that later in my career when I had a teen explain to me 
that he had become suicidal. He was depressed, became suicidal. He was in his bedroom by himself and my CD came on in his room because he had a disc changer. I'm dating myself with the story right now, but <laughs> for those of you, you can look up a disc changer. I think they might have one in the Smithsonian. So my CD came on and he thought of me and we knew each other and he thought of how sad I would be if he did it. And the connection between him and me, even though he was alone in his room, he felt connected. And he thought, mm. and he had this like twinge. He told me this story later, uh, about a year later. And so he just didn't do it. And then he didn't get that low afterwards. And then he got in, like got help, went to rehab, got clean, got sober, got healthy and dealt with this depression. And then he was like a, a you know, a typical teenage kid again. And it, but it was the connection, even alone in his room, that was so powerful and was a lifeline for him. And, and for many, many of us, and particularly teens right now, they're not in their living room talking to their parents. They're upstairs in their bedroom listening to music. And one of the main reasons why you touched on it at the beginning is because they can be a hot mess with their music and their music still accepts them. They can be a hot mess with their emotions and their music doesn't judge them or lecture them or worry about them. Their music just accepts them whether or not they can keep the beat or remember the lyric or, you know, tap along or sing along or whatever. So music is, is this unconditional, authentic voice in our life. And so we trust it oftentimes when we don't trust people. That connection is still alive and strong. And it's really important right now for people to reach for their music and stay connected one-on-one -on -one with their music. And there's three ways that they can do it. They can, one of the things that, that I always encourage audiences to do more of is to actually make music with the music you already enjoy. So if you can tap, snap, or clap along with the music, if you can hum, rap, or sing along with the music, even if you sing in your head, the nerd word is audiate, even if you sing along in your head with the music, it pulls your focus into present time because music's time-based. And so when you engage your body with the music you enjoy, you stop worrying about the future you stop regretting the past and you're present mentally, which is really healthy right now. You're also experiencing a release of dopamine, which is the pleasure chemical associated with reward and motivation. So that is a healthy chemical for us to feel. It's this, it's this little like cup of water on the marathon, like, ah, it's almost like relief. And so when we engage with the music we enjoy, and it can be in subtle ways, it doesn't have to be overt. We don't have to master a musical instrument. We just need to engage our body. It can have a very powerful instant transformative effect on our mood and on our nervous system. So that's, that's the first thing we can do. It, some people are like dead against like engaging with it because they have a story that they're not musical, whatever, it's cool. Um, fine. Just listen to the music, but here's what you do. You create what I call a power playlist. So three songs, just three songs that fire you up. They inspire you personally. They have some sort of like, you know, inspirational uplifting effect on you. When you listen to them, you just, you know, they uplift you, put them on a playlist. Whenever you're feeling the stress of the world right now, strike, you throw in your earbuds and you get off whatever screen you're on 
and you go outside and you go for a walk and you walk to the beat. Now, that may not always be uh, possible given the weather. So if you can do it, that's what you do. If you can't, you sit inside like you're at a concert listening to the songs with your eyes closed. Like not multitasking, but just in the music. When you're outside walking, you just walk to the beat. By the time you get back, by the time that playlist is over, your nervous system will have reset. You'll be back in relaxed mode. You'll be in creative mode. You'll be in connection mode and you'll feel a lot better. And that's without even making any music. That's something you can just do personally. And then the third thing you can do, sometimes we got to be honest, sometimes the stress is in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So the third thing you can do is you can take a little relaxation vacation because you're not going to take any other kind of vacation right now. That's pretty hard. (laughs) So there's a way for you to leave the present moment, go back in time to a moment in time where you felt happy, healthy, safe, connected, experience that moment and then bring those emotions back to the present. And I've actually created a guided meditation to my own classical guitar music that walks you back through your own memories to one you choose that works for you. You experience that moment and then you bring those feelings back to the present. So it gives you a little break from the present because the present can sometimes be overwhelming, but then you cut to come back in about 15 minutes. Unlike if you reach for your phone or you reach for the Netflix button, you're not coming back in 15 minutes. Let's all be honest because our screens are designed to capture and keep our attention for longer and longer periods of time. And so what happens when we get stressed, we reach for something. That's the stress response. We want to self-soothe. And so screens are one of the easiest ways for us to self-soothe. So whether it's a video game, social media, Netflix, YouTube, we screen. That make, it takes us away, takes us out of the moment and allows us to experience something else. Problem is, they're just designed to keep us once they capture us. And so we will lose large chunks of time. And do you know the skip intro button on Netflix? That thing, mm-hmm. that's a stroke of genius, right? I mean, like, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, I got to find out what happens next. I'll click. Oh, I'm in. You know, and suddenly like four episodes later, you know, yep. why is it dark out? What, what, yep. <laughs> what, why am I starving? Where are my clothes? What, what time is it? You know, that has happened to everybody. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still remember the first time I binge watched. Now, here's something that's very interesting. If you use the word binge and you put it in front of eat or drink, it's diagnostic criteria. But in our culture, if you put the word binge in front of watch, it's socially acceptable. Yeah, very interesting. But the reality is, is when we're binge watching, what we're really doing is binge escaping. Mm-hmm. It's enjoyable, it's pleasurable, it's distracting, it's checking off all the boxes, right? And so it's totally cool. Everybody, quote unquote, everybody does it, right? It's like socially acceptable. And luckily, if you don't say, if you don't tell, if, if people like, if you don't binge watch, you don't have to like bump into people and be like, I don't binge watch. And they don't give you a hard time. Why don't you binge watch? Unlike alcohol, where if you're, you're out mm-hmm. in a social setting and you don't have a drink, now you have to put up with that. That's the other socially acceptable form of you know, medication in our culture, but binge watching is 
for me, diagnostic criteria. It means you're probably stressed and you're just avoiding something that's stressing you out. So let's reach for music instead. Let's go on a 15 minute guided journey. The slow tempo music will slow down your nervous system. The prompts will take you back to someplace where your nervous system was in a peak state. You'll experience it like it's real and come back at your best. And, and one thing to share about like relaxation music that's really important for people to understand about your nervous system. So your, your body is a rhythm machine. So you, you walk in rhythm, you talk in rhythm, you chew in rhythm, your heart beats in rhythm, you breathe in rhythm, you sleep in rhythm. Every cell operates. It runs on rhythm. That's like the organizing principle of your body. And so it is susceptible to external rhythm. So if you play rhythms that are a similar tempo to internal rhythms of the body, the body will actually upregulate or downregulate to match. And this is pretty fascinating. It's called the law of rhythmic entrainment. So what's really important about relaxation music is you want to listen to music where you can actually perceive the beat. Now, a lot of relaxation music is like keyboard synth, what I call spa music where it doesn't actually have a beat that you can like sync up to, like you wouldn't be able to move to it. You wouldn't be able to tap your finger to it. That's really actually not good for your nervous system. It can actually be triggering for people with PTSD. So your nervous system wants something to ground to, to feel connected with. So anytime you're going to listen to relaxing music, you want that relaxation music to have a perceptible beat. And you don't want it to be this like droning kind of sound because you, mm -hmm. then your nervous system can't ground and it really wants to connect. So just a nerd fad, fast fact for you and your listeners. That's awesome. That's so interesting. I think like I, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like when I listen to music, even like slow down music, I feel like I crave some kind of stability. So I think that totally makes sense. But in terms of like how we can, especially right now with the virus, disconnect and use music as a tool, I'm just so fascinated by all the examples you gave because they're active listening. And I think mm -hmm. so many people, like we don't realize that, right? Like we use music as an escape, but we don't use it maybe all the time intentionally. Mm -hmm. And the active listening is so interesting, whether we're using it to actively take a break from the present moment or the opposite, we're using it to actively be in the present moment. It's all active. Like you're listening to it. You're closing your eyes and being in that moment with it. You're taking a walk and moving to the beat. You're thinking about the lyrics. You're tapping your foot, whatever it is. Like it's not just sitting there. It's some kind of active something. And I think that's really the difference when we don't have the availability of, oh, let's go to a concert. Oh, let's, you know, be around a group of people. That's really, really great insight. Yeah. A lot of us use music. Let's be honest. We use it, we put it on in the background and then we do something else and it supports whatever we're doing because it can, it stimulates our focus. It stimulates our attention. So most of us do all kinds of stuff better to music in the background, I wash dishes better to music. I clean better to music. I exercise better to music, right? Like I can run those down the list, but those aren't, that's not necessarily like the therapeutic effect of music that we're really talking about. If we really yeah. want to access music for stress relief for pain relief, then music needs to take center stage. And when it does, there's a massive difference in our experience of it and what it does for us. 
Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that because I think there's, like you said, there's two different ways to look at it. You know, here's what I have it, I have it with me and it's supporting what I'm doing or I have it as the central focus. And I think for people who are feeling just overwhelmed or burdened or financially stressed or frustrated or just confused about what's to come, like perhaps thinking about music in this different way and using it as a as a vehicle for healing, as a vehicle for, you know, a different mindset could be really powerful. Totally. That's, you know, music as therapy is, it is a tool. And that's really the, my mission in life is to just remind people, A, they love it. Their music, they love their music, right? You never have to sell anybody on their music. They've, they've sold themselves, right? They will talk my ear off if I ask anybody, tell me about your favorite music, tell me about your favorite concert. And then, so A, we already have it. We have this very personal, powerful prior relationship to it. So that's already there. Right? It's, it's just so easy for people to just plug in and then they're like, oh, that's right. And, but then to think of it as this tool and to say, hey, you know, we've also, which is kind of funny, we've done this research to validate what we've already all experienced about music. So therefore, stamp of approval, it's evidence-based. Let me tell you, my entire clinical career is based on the fact of having to go read and translate research on what all of us have personally experienced in our life a hundred times over, which is actually really funny. Um, and then the, the other piece of it is just to remember that like, you don't need to be musical. You don't need to consider yourself a musician, but when you bring the music on center stage, even as a fan and the music takes the stage, like that can just be in the moment, just what you need. And it doesn't have to last a very long time. You can have, you can enjoy the music effect as a tool in your life to kind of, oh, like a V8. Oh, I feel a lot better now. You know, I just, I had a song, mm-hmm. right? But, but you're thinking about it. And one of my missions when I'm on stage is to be like, listen, think of your music like it's part of your self-care toolkit. Like you reached for music. So there's very specific times where people get stressed in their day. And it's not a mystery if they just stop and look. So it might be for somebody right when they're getting up out of bed, they're dealing with either anxiety or maybe they have chronic pain and they're having, that's their stress point. Maybe it's getting their kids to eat their breakfast on time to get out of the house to go to school. Aha, I have school age kids. That's like in my radar right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's a morning commute from hell. Maybe it's, um, you know, a job where it's really stressful. Maybe it's the ride home. And being present when you get home and not taking work with you. That's really hard. And then for a lot of people, the work from home stress is that their home and their work now, they're blurred physically, where in the past they used to be able to leave work at work, but now work is at home. And so there are these different stress points throughout the 24-hour day. And so you start to look at them and you're like, okay, in that moment, how do I reach for music? Not whether I can reach for music. How? How do I use music? Can I play music? Can Alexa be my DJ in the morning and play (laughs) up-tempo music that research shows makes people actually eat faster? That's why the lunch rush always has fast-tempo music and the dinner rush has slow-tempo music. Because you will pay your bill and you will 
leave faster with a fast tempo uh, soundtrack playing through the speakers and restaurants want to turn their tables at lunch. So is it, does it benefit me to play up-tempo music in the morning to upregulate my kids to get them to eat faster? Oh, that's really pretty stealthy. And they're loving it. They're getting a, they're getting a dopamine hit out of it because it, they mm -hmm. can be the DJ. Sure, you guys pick the music. Sure, and you're eating faster. I'm happy with that. <laughs> little sneaky. Uh, oh, little absolutely. Sneaky, sneaky going we, on. <laughs> that's right. We want to be using this little stealth tool that most of us just think about for entertainment. But once you know all these positive health impacts that music has, you're like, oh, how do I start to plug this in? So that's what my work has kind of transitioned to now online has been helping stressed out professionals, like figure out where and when to reach for music in their day and how exactly to reach for music and then creating, you know, online like community for them to be able to plug in so that they're thinking about this now as a part of their life. Because let me tell you, when we were all teenagers, Nobody had to tell us to think about music. We thought about music all the time, mm -hmm. right? It yeah. was the soundtrack of our life. Right. And then as adults, we kind of just kind of discover talk radio and now podcasts and audiobooks, And we just kind of gently move away slowly. Mm -hmm. Kind of the peak season is 14 to 24. That's like the golden decade. And then it starts, the, 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 the waters start to recede. And it's just a process of reminding, reconnecting people with either new music they're curious about or music they loved in the past. Go back to your favorites. Go, go listen to them again. You, you already have your library. That's the great thing about it. You don't need to try anything new. You don't need to buy anything new. Music is free. If you have an internet connection or a cell phone and you're listening to this podcast, you, know, you have access to free music 24-7, 365. And so there's never been a time in history like the present moment with, our, with access to just digital content. It's unprecedented. If there's any artist you've ever enjoyed ever in your life, you can go onto YouTube for free, type in their name and put the word live and watch a, co a concert of theirs. And I guarantee you, you've never seen that footage and you've never seen them play that song that way. You've never seen them look like that. You've never seen the stage like that. Or you saw that concert, but it was 1990. Oh my God, that was 30 years ago. And you pull it up on YouTube mm -hmm. and you're back. And you're back. Love that. I also love the idea of, of thinking of music as self-care, you know, like as something mm. that's you're actively putting into your routine. You're prioritizing. You're saying, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm doing this for me. And it just becomes all the more powerful when we are intentional about it. And I think that's like my big word for this pandemic life is yes. how are we being intentional with what we have? Maybe it's different. Maybe it sucks. Maybe it's, you know, incredibly difficult. You know, I don't want to compare trauma, but, you know, how can we be intentional with what we have with people, with relationships, with music? Um, I just yeah. appreciate all of your insight and the way you kind of, spun this idea of music that so many people are like, yeah, I totally understand what that is, but it, you know, it's thinking about it differently. How can we be active listeners? How can we use music as a tool and not just something in the background? I just, I so appreciate your insight and also your willingness to talk about what got you to where you are and the difficult moments of your life that you pivoted from in order to bring so much healing to others. So thank you for that. You're welcome. My pleasure. How can people get connected with you and what you do in some of the communities you're building right now? 
Yeah, the easiest way to find me online is my website is just timringold.com. Uh, there's two G's in my last name, but you can use one or two. They both go to the same place. And on, on my site, you'll see my bald head and it says reach for music. <laughs> and then it'll say, want to take a relaxation vacation. And again, your answer is why? Yes, Tim, I'd love to take a relaxation vacation. And so yeah, yeah. <laughs> my gift to all of your listeners, just type in your name, your email address, and whatever the little code is to prove you're human. And then I'm going to give you that relaxation vacation guided meditation that I talked about for free. And you're going to get three different versions, one with my voice and my guitar, one with just my guitar, one with just my voice. And so that'll be just a great way for people to kind of get connected, get started. And you'll see on there, there's links to my podcast, there's links to different books, different courses, different communities I've got it, you know, kind of all, it all, it's all there at timringold.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that. And for the, the free guided meditation as well. I think that's one easy and, you know, not scary step in, in this direction. Um, I think sometimes it's also breaking down the barriers to allow yourself to take that space in your day and be yes. intentional about, yes, I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to, you know, give myself time to not be busy and be on my phone or be on social media or work or family or whatever it is. So I hope that people listening can take advantage of that. And I just want to thank you for offering that opportunity for us to just lean in. Sure. If any of your audience is struggling with sleep, sleep is a big issue right now because uncertainty is the big issue right now. And so they're kind of linked with each other. Uh, the podcast and the guided meditation will help. And that's one of the biggest compliments I get is I get emails from tons of people like I fall asleep to your podcast. I've, I've been struggling with sleep. I now can sleep. I turn on your guided meditation. I sleep. My kid's been listening to it every night for the last two years, which is one email I got one day. I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I, you know, as a music therapist, like I want my music to do good. I don't want it to just have, I don't want it just to be fun. I want it to really improve and touch people's lives in a meaningful way. And, and it helps them connect dots in their life where they were struggling with A, which has nothing to do with music. And then bloop, my music shows up and then mm. bing, suddenly that area gets better. And I'm like, yes, rinse and repeat. <laughs> that is my purpose. That's why I'm here. So for those of you struggling with sleep, please, please take advantage of these tools. They're, they're yours, they're free, they're my gift to you.